Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I have Kendra Cope, and Kendra is a wife and mother to three young children. And Kendra also earned her master's in speech language pathology. Uh, Kendra enjoys reading, sewing, and spending her time with her family. Kendra, thank you so much for being with me today. It's exciting to be here. Thanks, Michelle. I'm so happy to have you. And for listeners, maybe you don't care about this piece, but Kendra is actually cousins with my husband. And she also has a cousin who's married to one of my cousins. So that's a lot of cousin talk. And I think maybe we're somehow cousins just just due to the fact that we have so many cousin connections. I love it. I, I love that about our connection. I know I do too. So Kendra, I just want to jump right into our conversation and ask you what drew you to the field of speech language pathology? Well, I have always been interested in languages um, and I knew I want to do to do something related to languages. I actually studied Spanish from seventh grade all the way through college and I have a bachelor's degree in Spanish. My first job out of college was working for a software company that created mm-hmm. English language learning programs. And I really enjoyed that. But after a few years, I started having my own children and chose to stay home with them. And um, one day when my second daughter was, I think she was over 18 months old, a friend and I were chatting about our kids. And she just asked me, you know, you you talk about the development of your kids when you're in that stage of life. And Mm -hmm. she said, so what words is Ella saying now? Uh, And in that moment, I realized that Ella wasn't saying any words at all, not even the word no, which is like Mm -hmm. kind of a joke, right? That kids always (laughs) say their first word is no, because that's the word they hear the most, right? (laughs) Um, But she was really only grunting in various tones to communicate with us. Mm -hmm. And just as a little aside for any listeners that might be wondering, the typical age for first words is around 12 months, give or take. So, you know, this is about six months past that time. Mm So I don't need to go through all the details, but in short, we had her evaluated by early intervention and she qualified for services and started speech therapy. And kind of around that same time, I came to know three speech pathologists that went to the same church as I did. I, I didn't know that that's what they did. And so I learned a lot from them about the field also. And as Ella progressed, I realized what a change it was making in her life. I mean, she really blossomed as a person and and really gained her ability to communicate. Now, her progress was relatively quick because in her particular case, there weren't any other additional factors affecting her language delay. Sure. But between being a large part of the therapeutic process for Ella and talking with these three additional therapists, I really thought that this might be the field I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So I took some prerequisite classes part time over several years. I actually ended up having my son during that time. And wow. then I was able to complete my master's degree in December of 2014 when my youngest was three and a half. So kind of wow. did my master's with three young kids, <laughs> uh, a super supportive husband. And mm-hmm. here we are. Oh, that sounds easy. That sounds really easy. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, you know, it's manageable when your family supports you. You know, I couldn't have done it. So here's a question that I have for you. So you graduated in 2014 in speech language pathology. Okay. So then did you immediately 
start working in the field? Yes. So yes. Once you graduate, though, you still need to complete a clinical fellowship year. And Mm -hmm. that is at least nine months if you're doing it full time. There's Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I don't remember the details of this, but there are a certain number of hours Uh that you have to accumulate before you are like free to fly on your own, basically. Mm -hmm. So you are still under the supervision of a fully uh, licensed and certified speech pathologist for those nine months. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I did that and I I started in New York that this is kind of a complicated story. I started in New York and we moved to North Carolina in the middle of my fellowship and North Carolina did not accept all of the hours I had already completed in New York. So I, basically had to start over, Um, which was frustrating Mm -hmm. um, because I, at that time, opted to go part-time. So it it took me about a year and a half afterwards Mm -hmm. to be fully Mm -hmm. certified and fully licensed. So I have been for several years. But since graduation, I have always worked in the field of speech-language pathology. Yes. Well, I love that. And, you know, it's just interesting the path that our lives take to get to where we want to (laughs) be. So I appreciate you sharing your experience. As a speech-language pathologist, what are some common speech delays or speech issues that you come across when you're working with children? So I am a school-based speech-language pathologist. The field covers all sorts of areas. We have medical speech pathologists that work you know, with brand new babies in the NICU. We have mm-hmm. speech pathologists that work with older adults who have swallowing issues. We have speech pathologists that work with children in their homes. I am a school-based speech pathologist. So my job is to help any child enrolled in the school who's demonstrating a disability with their speech and or their language Mm -hmm. that negatively impacts their participation at school in the curriculum. Okay. So this includes a wide range of challenges. So I'm going to kind of break it down a little bit for you into speech Mm -hmm. and language. There's kind of two separate categories here. Okay. So speech refers to the sound system of language and how a person produces the speech sounds with their mouth Mm -hmm. and how we combine those sounds to create words that are understandable by other people. Mm. So a lot of people kind of think of this as a kid with a lisp, right? Or somebody who has trouble with the the R sound, Mm -hmm. but it can be much more involved than that. Some kids do not say all the syllables in words, for example, laybug instead of ladybug, Mm -hmm. or they'll leave off the ending sound in words. They'll say ha instead of hat, or maybe they won't say two consonants in their clusters. Um, I have some students right now who say ghoul instead of school. They're not saying that S at the beginning. Sure. Or they'll substitute like a T sound for a a K sound, like tat instead of cat. So these articulation disorders, these sound production disorders can make it difficult for the student to be understood, especially when they're using multiple error patterns. That's really interesting. You know, maybe they're not saying all the syllables in their words and they're not saying their consonant clusters and they're leaving their sounds off the ends of the words. So then the listener is it's much more difficult to follow along with what the child is saying. Mm. My guess, and this is just a guess, is that when you start working with a child, if they did have multiple speech issues that you would 
choose one to focus on at a time. Is that a good guess? So sometimes it it really kind of depends on the situation. There is a type of therapy that it's called the cycles approach, Mm -hmm. where we work on one particular error pattern for a set number of sessions. And it depends child to child, you know, maybe eight sessions you're working on that Um, all the syllables and words. And then you switch, no matter what their progress is, you switch to the next phonological process is what it's Mm -hmm. called. And you work on only getting all of those clusters and you do that for eight sessions. And then you stop and you switch to the next error that they're making. And you do that for eight sessions. And then you go back to the first one. And Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like a cycle, you're cycling through. Okay. There, I mean, there's, we could go, we could talk for hours about all the different types of therapies we can do, but yeah, it's bringing the child's awareness to the sound system of language because as you and I are sitting here talking, I don't think that you're thinking through every single sound in every single word that you are saying. It's just kind of naturally coming out, right? Yes. Yes. But a child who is having difficulty with those sounds also is not thinking about it, but their brain has also not developed the like subconscious awareness of those Mm -hmm. sounds. So these disorders can also affect reading development because reading is just a code for our verbal speech. So Mm -hmm. if you're not able to say your sounds accurately, and if you don't understand that words are made up of sounds, you're going to have difficulty figuring out the code of our written language, like the Mm -hmm. sound letter correspondence, blending sounds together and so forth. This is really interesting. So, so let me switch gears now and talk about yes. the language side of things. Okay. So, so speech refers to our sound system. Language refers to how we combine words together into phrases and sentences mm-hmm. and to use those words to communicate your needs, your wants, your thoughts, and so forth. So kids who struggle with language may have difficulty with grammar, for example, some subject verb agreement. They may have difficulty with their pronoun usage. Um, I see a lot of he and she getting mixed up or Mm -hmm. objective pronouns instead of subjective. So saying like, him is coming to my house today instead of he is coming to my house today. Okay. Learning new vocabulary effectively can also be very difficult. Mm -hmm. So um, language disorders can affect a student's overall comprehension of language. Some children have a really hard time understanding just the abstract nature of language. You know, Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of words that represent concrete objects, you know, apple, ball, car. Right. So so a kid can know, Okay, this is what an an apple is. I can see it. I can hold it. I can touch it. But many words and a lot in the school setting are much more abstract and they encompass ideas rather Mm -hmm. than concrete objects. Mm -hmm. So a perfect example, especially for your autism audience, are feelings, right? Feelings are kind of an abstract notion and we put we put words to it, but you can't hold or look at or really know what a feeling is. Right. Sure. So some kids struggle with understanding WH questions, for example, and that the word who references a person 
or the word where references a place. So these language disorders can affect, as I said, your vocabulary development, but also then your reading skills, your reading comprehension. We do see a lot of kids who can read really well, but they don't necessarily know what they just read and they can't answer questions about it. This so is making perfect. Well, I love that you shared that. It's making perfect sense to me. I'm just processing all of this information. I'll have to listen to this back <laughs> again after, after I do some editing because I am just, it's really fascinating to me. And I'm guessing that you can have speech delays, but not necessarily language delays. Correct. So the children on my, overall, the children that I support have a variety of disabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Some have a speech impairment only. And so I am the only service provider to them in the schools. Okay. But if the children have other disabilities, like um, I have Down syndrome, other kids with developmental delays. And of course, we have a lot of children with autism. Mm -hmm. Um, If they need language support, then they are likely getting other academic support as well. I am not the only provider in those cases. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I love the way that you've broken this down for listeners, particularly me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so. language really runs through everything, right? Mm-hmm. Language is, I mean, language is the basis of our relationships with each other, you know? Yes, yes, it is. Which makes me think about, there are a lot of parents raising autistic children who are diagnosed as nonverbal. And, you know, I have multiple friends. I can name on both hands who have children, autistic nonverbal children. And yet... Their children are verbalizing words. So tell mm-hmm. me, tell me what it actually means to be nonverbal. So I don't know if this is the textbook definition, <laughs> um, but I would explain a nonverbal child as a child who does not effectively use words to communicate mm-hmm. their wants or their needs. Okay. Um, so they may or may not have words in their expressive vocabulary, but if mm-hmm. they do, if they do have a handful of words that they know or more than a handful. They aren't necessarily using words in in a way that we would consider appropriate, and they're definitely not using them effectively. Okay. Um, Behavior, I wanted to point out, behavior is a type of communication, and many nonverbal kids really rely on their behavior to tell people, right? I'm uncomfortable, or I don't want to do that, or I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm dysregulated, or maybe I'm just fine, right? If they're just, (laughs) if they're sitting and agreeable and and not acting out, then that's their communication that I'm doing okay right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and on my particular caseload, most of my nonverbal kids do have autism. Okay, so, so for these children, visual supports can work really well. Pictures Mm -hmm. are much more concrete than words. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as I was saying earlier, language is very abstract. If we can provide something more concrete, that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. So in um, a particular classroom that I work in where most of the children are nonverbal, We use a variety of low-tech communication systems. So we use things, there's something called a picture exchange system. Mm -hmm. We have little little pictures, like two inches by two inches. Mm -hmm. um, And you can make your own, you know. You can just (laughs) go onto the internet and find pictures of things that you want. So if your kid is really into goldfish, for example, or if there's a particular toy that they love, you can take your own pictures. Anyway, just print it out onto... 
onto cardstock or whatever, laminate it if you want to, cut it up. So you have all of these pictures of things that are important to them, things that they need, things that they might want, places you go, things like that. When they want something in particular, they can pick up the picture and give it to you. So you know exactly what they're looking for. This is this is kind of a picture exchange system. It's it's a low tech way to help them communicate. Okay. We also use something called a core board, which is this is just an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper cardstock laminated that has lots of pictures from what we call core vocabulary. So these are words that can be used for a variety of functions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're based, they're kind of like the first 100 words or something. Sure. Um, on our particular core board, we have all the colors. We have um, like I, you know, to refer to yourself. We have some um functional verbs like want, eat, drink, help, again, more, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then that is just an easy thing to carry around that a kid can have with them. And when there's a communication breakdown or something, they can point on this core board and use the core board to combine words together and say what they are looking for. I really love that there are multiple forms of communication because I can't imagine what it would feel like to not be able to communicate my needs and my wants, my basic human needs. And so I love that these, you call them low tech systems, but I love that they're available to our children who are considered nonverbal and that they are still able to communicate. I think that's so important because that frustration you talked about earlier that behavior is a form of communication. And I feel like some of those behaviors creep up because people are not understanding the needs of the child. And so I think it's so valuable that we are able to communicate in using these simplistic methods. And I know there are more in-depth methods, more technologically advanced methods like the AAC system and think, do you use that by the way, in your school? Yes. So some nonverbal kids are really good candidates for a higher tech device. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple of my students have an iPad with a communication application that they use Mm -hmm. and therapy is focused on helping them use that device effectively and combine icons on the device to create longer sentences, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really love what you were saying. Just because they are not using verbal words to communicate does not necessarily mean that they're not understanding what's being said to them or that they don't know what they want and need. So I actually... I wanted to compare this to learning a second language, right? So if you or I are learning another language, maybe you know a few words, right? But mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's hard to recall exactly what the word is for that thing that you want. So yes. how are you going to communicate? So, so say you're learning Japanese, you go to Japan. At some point in time, you learned what the words were for strawberry smoothie, but you get there and you're like, wait, I really want a strawberry smoothie. How am I, <laughs> I don't remember what the words are. Uh-huh. And the, the people around you are so nice and they're giving you goldfish and, oh, we know you're hungry. Here's some goldfish. Oh, here's some apple slices. How about that? But all you want want is the strawberry smoothie (laughs) and you can't remember the word for strawberry or smoothie so you're frustrated that you can't remember the word and Mm -hmm. then you're frustrating that you're not getting what you want Mm -hmm. and you know if there if there was a picture of a strawberry smoothie you'd be like oh 
that's what I want. Yes. Yes. I love it. All that frustration into a little body who's still learning about the world and trying to manage their feelings, you know? Yes. And yes, they are just frustrated. Well, it's super important that you talk about this because I think there are within the education system, and this is a little bit of a tangent, not so much on speech and language, but I do look at children, particularly those that are nonverbal or low level communicators. And I look at these kids and oftentimes, and I said it earlier, there's behavior that's happening, but it's looked at as more of a behavior issue as opposed to a form of communication or actually the child feeling dysregulated in some way or another. And so I do think it is important to talk about behavior as actually what it is, as a form of communication. And sometimes it's tricky because it's, it can be a guessing game, but I think giving them the opportunity to use their language and speech skills in whatever form that may be is really helping this child in their own sense of self and their own sense of being able to be independent, which is what we all want. We all want that independence. And I feel like these skill sets are creating that for these individuals. And I just think it's so valuable. I agree. So I want to ask you one more question, and that is what I know that there are so many of us parents out there and we're struggling trying to help meet those speech and language needs of our own children. What would you share with parents like me who are struggling with speech language pathologies for our own children? Well, I guess... I would always recommend an evaluation Mm -hmm. and an evaluation also that includes a hearing screening Mm -hmm. Um, if you have big or little concerns. So first, the hearing screening will confirm that there's not a hearing problem that might explain the delayed speech or the language development. Mm-hmm. And the speech language evaluation is a great way to gather more data to help you make more informed decisions for your child. Okay. So if they're young, like zero to three, I believe every state has an early intervention program mm-hmm. um, that and, and that was free when we referred my daughter. Mm-hmm. But if your child is already in school and you feel that they're struggling or something um, and you think there might be something related to speech or language, you can self-refer as well. You can send a request in writing to your child's teacher for your child to be evaluated and mm-hmm. she should pass it on to the appropriate parties at the school. He or she, I don't mean to assume every teacher is a she. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not true. Uh, <laughs> And then the school then has 90 days to complete the entire evaluation process. And if your child doesn't qualify, then it either puts your mind at ease a little bit, or at least it gives you the information you need to perhaps seek private services. Mm -hmm. If your child does qualify, then you're part of the team that decides what services they need. Um, I think that oftentimes we kind of rely on the pediatricians to tell us what to do. And oftentimes they do say to just wait it out when it's a speech or a language thing. But I, and I love pediatricians. I, they're super valuable. Mm-hmm. But I would say if you feel like something really is going on, don't don't just wait it out. Just mm-hmm. do what I said, get an evaluation. So mm-hmm. Because sometimes a speech issue or a lack of language development is just the first symptom of something more that's going on. It just kind of 
seems to be the first thing we expect to see in a kid, what their words are, you know? Yes. So, And the earlier you can identify if there is something more going on, the sooner you can get the services you need to support your kid. So I love it. That would be the first thing that I say. Yes. I, I actually really love that. I love that advice because I do, I am a proponent of early intervention, first of all. And then just thinking about my own experience and my son who's 14 and he's autistic and he has ADHD and he's also very bright. And language was an issue in the beginning. And so I think that you're right. It can be one of those first initial indicators. It isn't always. My oldest daughter never had any language issues and she's autistic. You know, her first word was calculator. I should have (laughs) known. With all the syllables. Yes, it was pretty remarkable. But, but. I did. He didn't qualify. My son didn't qualify in the school for services. So we saw after private accommodations and that was so helpful for him. And so Mm -hmm. I do think that to follow your gut as a parent and just that intuition that we have and we know we know that our child needs something that they may not be getting. And so we seek right. those services for them in those cases. And and school-based, I would also just add this, that um, if your child does not qualify for f- you know, full special education services through an individualized education plan, mm-hmm. you but do, would benefit from accommodations, then you can seek a 504 plan, mm-hmm. which does provide those accommodations in mm-hmm. the school environment, but not necessarily um, as intense as an individualized education plan would be. You know, every kid who has an individualized education plan has a disability, but not every kid who has a disability needs an individualized education plan. Does that make sense? It sure does. Though, I, though they definitely can, can benefit from accommodations, which are a mm-hmm. little less restrictive. Yes. Okay, Kendra, I know you have more words of wisdom to share. So let's keep going. As far, so so as far as what you can do right now, though, I would also tell parents that I know you know your kid, you can probably often anticipate what they need or what they want before they have to tell you. But I would say don't do that all the time. Don't mm-hmm. always give them what you know they need or what they want until mm-hmm. they have communicated it to you somehow, like mm-hmm. with the vocalization, if possible, doesn't even have to necessarily be a word just just a sound is fine at the beginning Mm -hmm. just to kind of get the idea that when I say something I get something Mm -hmm. Um, using signs or gestures also uh, sign language does not impede verbal language using Mm -hmm. sign language does not impede verbal language development Um, or pointing to a picture of what they want or giving you something some Mm -hmm. form of communication you can certainly prompt and provide support as needed you can give them choices for a snack for example like okay i know you're hungry do you want an apple or a banana and show them the apple and the banana so they have to point to one or indicate somehow what they want Mm-hmm. We already talked about picture exchange a little bit. And the goal over time would be to reduce the prompting that they need so they can more independently communicate. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you can't have you can't 
have this power struggle all day long. So choose your battles, of course. Choose sure. the time to work on this when they're not overtired or very hungry, but give them opportunities where they have to, have to communicate in some way besides just whining and crying. And, mm-hmm. and you need to be willing to hold out on them until they communicate. Sure. That, is, so that can be really tricky. And then finally, for speech sound development, if you're just worried kind of more about the speech sounds, I would say you can read books together that emphasize whatever sounds or sound patterns that they might be struggling with. And also just know that not all sounds are developed at the same time. By three years old, the majority of kids can be understood by a person who's not in their family. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're saying all of the sounds 100% correctly yet. That can take a few more years, you know, for the R to develop for for example Mm -hmm. Um, and many children use substitution patterns in the meantime until their neural oral pathway has developed enough to produce some of our more precise speech sounds Mm -hmm. you know like we've all heard the kid that says i like ice cream for example (laughs) yes because because those l's and those r's and s's and j's those are all they take a lot of tongue precision and a little kid can't necessarily do that yet so so something i like to do is kind of pitch their word right back to them right so if they say i want ice cream then you can just ask them ice cream and see Mm. if they can self-correct you know and and recognize that they're not saying that sound quite correctly it helps them to hear their errors from outside their head right we all sound a little different to ourselves Mm -hmm. than we do to others so if you kind of pitch their error back to them in a you know in a fun questioning way Mm -hmm. it just kind of helps them to now hear what they're saying from a kind of a different perspective oh that's interesting i've never used that technique I'll have to give that a whirl. (laughs) That sounds like it could be a really useful tool. Kendra, I want to thank you for being with me today. I'm just so grateful for all of the words of wisdom that you shared and for the knowledge that you have gained yourself and then passed on to me and to those that are listening. So thank you so much for being here today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about this stuff. So Well, I feel your passion and I just really appreciate you being here. So for those of you that are listening, you can also follow me on Instagram at navigating.the.spectrum. See you next week.